Amen. Well, how many of you guys were here last week? A little show of hands. All right, good, good. I like what I'm working with. Uh, but Jordan talked last week about uh, kind of the, that we're not machines, right? And that we're human beings. And because we're human beings, we don't bear fruit 100% of the time. Like machines do that, but human beings, that's not how we were made to function. Uh, and if you read in scriptures in John, it talks about that we're the vine and like he has to prune those who are bearing fruit so that they can bear more fruit, right? So more of a, uh, of a picture that we're not supposed to always bear fruit. Uh, Jordan talked about how the vines on the branches that bear grapes, they actually have to clip them off and then allow them to regrow to bear fruit the next year. So, so there's just this beautiful picture uh, and rhythm in the life of a believer of, of times that, uh, that are hidden. We have hidden seasons, and then we have times where we have revelation season. And by revelation, I mean, uh, you've probably seen it in people. There's seasons where God's speaking to us in such a capacity, and he's using us, and, and we're being revealed. Uh, our words become more, uh, come with more authority. Uh, we're starting to have dreams and visions. God's opening up platforms for us to speak with people or whatnot. That, we're receiving revelation in the secret place, and the result of that is that God often reveals people publicly. And so that's kind of what I want to talk about tonight is just the flow and the process of life where you go from being in a hidden season to being revealed and then oftentimes back into a hidden season. And sometimes, you know, there can be one aspect of our life where God's revealing us. Say it's in a job and we're getting a promotion. But then there can be other aspects such as relationships and spiritually that we can be in a very hidden season. Um, and I think it's important um, to really understand the uh, hiddenness and the reason for it. And so Jordan kind of talked on a little bit last week. But I want to go a little bit deeper into, into what hiddenness is. Uh, and furthermore, what is the greatest temptation that we face when we find ourselves in hidden seasons. Um, and then I want to talk about the purpose of hiddenness. And then I want to close with telling you guys how hidden seasons should come to an end. There's many ways in which you could get yourself out of a hidden season, but there's one way in which God likes to end hidden seasons in our lives. Does that sound uh, this, the rhythm. David is this beautiful picture of this. Uh, this the rhythm of life of being going from being revealed to then being hidden and back to revealed and back to hidden. And, and if you think about David, he, he was a shepherd's boy. He was out in the fields with the sheep, right? He was very hidden from day one. He had several other brothers that were much older than him. They said that they were strong, that they were good looking, and they were mighty men. And so from the, from the get-go, David was born into hiddenness very much in the shadow of his brothers, in the, in the shadow of his, of his father. And, but when David turned, they argue between like 12 and 14 years old, Samuel comes and he comes to David's father and he says, bring forth all your sons because there's a king amongst them. And one by one, he walks through and he says, and God says, no, it's not that one. No, it's not that one. And it finally gets to the point where Samuel says, well, do you have any more sons? And he's like, well, well yeah, I have my hidden son. I, I, got, I got David, but he's out in the field. And Samuel looks at him and says, we're not going to sit down until you go get him. And so he's like, I'm sure he's like, all right, well, somebody go get David. Go get him out of the fields. And so someone goes and they get David and he brings him. And before all of his brothers and his dad and who knows who else was there, Samuel anoints his head with oil and prophesies that he's going to be the, the king of Israel. I mean, talk about going from being hidden to being revealed in a moment. I mean, 
What if someone came to you when you were 12, 14 years old, poured anointing oil on head and said, you're the next president of the United States? Like, you know what I mean? Like, like that's, contextually, that's what it was. It was like, you're going to lead this nation, right? And so David goes from this, like, absolute hiddenness to, like, being, like, like kind of ultimately revealed in a moment. But then the funny thing is David, from that moment, then goes right back to the fields. And he goes right back to the sheep. And he goes right back to the goats. And then the next time we hear about David is when the Goliath scene comes in. And David wasn't even invited. He'd been anointed king, but then he went back to the fields. His brothers went to battle. Israel's fighting the Philistines, and David is just bringing supplies. And he sees what's going on, and he says, shoot, man. He literally says, well, I've killed a bear and a lion by myself protecting my sheep. Like, and this guy is coming against God's people? Like, I'll take him on. He's like, and like, you know, grabs his slingshot and his smooth stone from the brook, it says. And he walks over there and he kills Goliath. I mean, it was probably a matter of days that he was out tending sheep by himself to then slaying Goliath in front of the entire Israeli army and before the Philistines. Talk about another moment of being revealed, right? Like, wow. So then Saul, the king at the time, sees David, and they say, wow, this, there's something on this kid. Like, there's something on him. And so Saul invites David into his, into his courts and to come live in his palace, and he becomes a musician, and, and he's, he's, he's an aide, basically, to Saul. And for a while, he served in his, in, in his palace until there came a point where Saul became jealous of him. And one time, David's playing the harp, Saul gets his spear, and he tries to throw it at him and kill him. And immediately David has to flee Jerusalem, and he has to go hide. And from that point on, Saul's after his life. Do you see it again? He was being revealed in the palace, and then next thing you know, he's being hidden again. And when he was hidden, it was for like five or six years that David hid in the caves of Judea. And if you've been to Israel, like around Jerusalem and in, in, in Judea, it's very rocky, rolling hills, valleys, ravines. Like, it's not a landscape that's, like, easy to traverse and easy just to, like, survive in. And so David goes, and he starts living in caves, fearing for his life. He has, they say he has a few men with him. And he goes into an absolute season of hiddenness, where he's going cave to cave, valley to valley, trying to just protect his life from Saul. And on several accounts in 1 Samuel, it, it talks about when Saul, someone came to Saul and said, well, we know where David's at. He's in this cave over here. And it says that Saul sent 2,000 men. And they approached David and they surrounded him. And then Saul gets word that the Philistines are attacking him and he has to leave. Talk about hiddenness. I mean, Saul's after him with thousands of men. And in the midst of this, David's absolutely possessed with the promise. Yeah. Like, can you imagine him sitting in this cave being like, it would have been like 15 years prior, 20 years prior. And it was like, man, do you remember when Saul pulled, poured that oil, or uh, Samuel poured that oil on my head? Like, do you think that was, do you think that's real? Like, I'm in a cave now. I'm like pretty hidden right now. You know, when he was in the courts of Saul, and he was playing the harp, and he was being right-hand man of Saul, I bet he was like, wow, like, yeah, what Samuel said, like, I can see it. 
It's so apparent right now. Like Saul dies and like, look, here I am. Like people saw Samuel, the prophet, say that I was going to be the king of Israel. Like in that moment, it was probably pretty easy for David to see like, all right, like it's coming to path. But then David finds himself absolutely hidden in the caves, possessed with the promise that he's going to be the king of Israel in a season of absolute hiddenness. And he did something in chapter 24 that is absolutely profound. And, and he was tempted in the exact same way that each and every one of us will be tempted in a season of hiddenness. And the temptation is to unhide yourself. In seasons of hiddenness, things will come at you from every direction. And the temptation will always be to unhide yourself because hiddenness is not necessarily comfortable. It's necessary. And there's purpose to it, which I'm going to talk about. But there will always be a temptation to unhide yourself. God's got you in a job, and you know you're supposed to be in this job. You know this job's refining you. Someone comes to you with an option for a job, you'd be making a little bit more money. It's a pretty strong temptation to unhide yourself. Maybe I'd be happy waking up going to that job. God tells me I'm not supposed to be in a relationship right now, but then I catch an eye for somebody. And I rationalize why I actually know I think it's okay to be in a relationship right now. There's always going to be temptations to unhide yourself. Whether you're being hidden physically, emotionally, spiritually, professionally, relationally. There will always be opportunities to unhide yourself. And and, and David had that opportunity. So if you you have your Bible, open up to 1 Samuel uh, chapter 24. It's page 286. I'm just kidding. Probably different than yours. First Samuel 24. We'll start on verse 3. Verse 3. When Saul, when Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave. And Saul went in and, and relieved himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him, because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So so David persuaded his men with these words, and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Think about this for a second. David's in this cave, possessed with a promise that he's going to be king. In a season of absolute hiddenness for five years, he's been going cave to cave in survival mode. And the one person who's trying to kill him And the one person who is standing between him and his rightful place on the throne 
as the king of Israel, Saul, walks into the cave where David's at with his men to relieve himself? And the men are like, shoot, like, this is God. Like, this is God. Like, this doesn't just happen. And they're like, you should go kill him. Because if you kill him, we're out of cave life. Like, you're going to become the king, right? Your season of hiddenness will be over. Like, God has brought Saul into this cave to end your season of hiddenness tonight. Now, David, go kill him. And he doesn't. And he doesn't. He doesn't choose to unhide himself in a moment where it would be so easy to. He resists the temptation. And I think it's absolutely profound. And I think the reason why David was able to say no, I mean, you read Psalms, and David has this intimacy with God. He knew the voice of God. He heard the voice of God. He had a heart after God's own heart. And so David was so in tune, I think, with the voice of God that when Saul walked in, it would be very easy to plug that as like, a God-ordained circumstance. I mean, David was a trained warrior. Earlier in Samuel, people of killing another. Saul kills thousands, but David kills tens of thousands. It was not an issue of killing another person. I can guarantee you that. David was a, a man of battle. And so the person who is pursuing him, keeping him between him and his promise, the person keeping him in his season of hiddenness, living in caves in Judea, like walks in to relieve himself, has his back to David, and David chooses not to kill him? It's profound. He chose to remain in hiddenness because he knew the voice of God. He was intimate. He knew that, no, my hidden season's not over yet. And the way that I get out of a hidden season is not by unhiding myself. Right? And so he cuts the corner of his cloth, or of his, of his garment, and doesn't let his men kill Saul. It's profound. But oftentimes, the reason why this temptation is so attractive in all of our lives is because we've all, like David, had moments and seasons where we were revealed. He, David had experienced like what it felt like to be anointed as king. He felt what it, what, what it was like to, to kill Goliath. And I'm sure the entire army of Israel was praising him. Like they didn't want to go fight him. Like he experienced these. We've experienced this. You've probably, you, you've all experienced times in your life where it was like the blessings of God are all over. Like, you're, you're hearing his voice. The prophetic words you're getting are, have such a grace on them. Like, God's blessing you financially. That we've experienced this, and we've experienced how when God pours out his blessing on us, it actually blesses the people around us. And so we see the fruit in that season when we're being revealed. When we're in a season of hiddenness, we don't see that. And so I think naturally what we go to is like, well, this season right here, like, I just have to make it through my hidden season. If I make it through, then I'll be back to that. And often, and sometimes it's like, well, you know, God will bless us, but then he has to hide us because he doesn't want us to get prideful. Like, he doesn't want to give us too much. We're going to become these prideful beings. And I would say, no, that's like not the truth. 
I would actually propose to you that you bear way more fruit in your hidden season than you could ever imagine in seasons that you're revealed. Because in Mark, it says that nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. So the reason in which you would hide something is to then reveal it. There's incredible purpose to hiddenness. God does not hide without purpose. He hides to reveal. They directly correlate. He will hide you only to then reveal you later on. And when you see it with that mindset, it changes. It enables you to walk by faith because oftentimes these hidden seasons are not the easiest. Right? These are the seasons when more than ever you have to walk by faith and not by sight. Because you're not seeing the things you saw. But you have to believe that God is hiding you. And where he's taking you is to then manifest it all by revealing you later. Does that make sense? And a beautiful example of this is Moses. Moses, you know, he grew up in Pharaoh's house, basically. It was Pharaoh's daughter who adopted Moses. And so he grew up probably in a pretty posh life. He had the comforts. Egypt at that time was the center of humanity. It was the most powerful kingdom in the world. And so who knows what he was exposed to. You know, and it says, you know, later in his life we know of the encounter where he kills the Egyptian. And right after he kills the Egyptian, he, he leaves Egypt. And it says that he goes to Midian. And Midian, to get to Midian to, from Egypt, Moses would have had to have gone up and over the Red Sea. He wasn't quite ready to go through it. So he, he would have had to go up and over it, traverse the Sinai Peninsula, and then cross it over into what is modern-day Saudi Arabia. It doesn't talk a whole, about, a whole lot about what Moses did in this time. But it does say that he got married and he had a son, and he named his son Gosham. And he named him that because that is similar to the, uh, the word for sojourner in Hebrew. And it says that he named him Gosham because he was a sojourner in a foreign land. And I think that right there is like Moses was in a hidden season. I was a sojourner in a foreign land. There's not much more than that other than it skips to the encounter with the burning bush. And right before he's having the encounter with the burning bush, it says that, that Moses was walking around Mount Horeb with his father-in-law's flock. Mount Horeb is Mount Sinai. And so he would have had to go from Midian back into the Sinai Peninsula, traverse the desert of the Sinai Peninsula to Mount Sinai with his father-in-law's flock, not even his own flock, right? So like professionally, you could, you could argue that like he was very hidden. He did not own this flock. And in doing so, in having a flock, he would have had traversed the Sinai Peninsula, which is a pretty extreme conditioned place. And he would have had to learn the nuances of the land and where there was water because he was, had a flock with him. And he'd have to learn the valleys and the ravines and the mountains and the passes and where exactly you want to go. All during his hidden times where nobody knew what he was doing. And then he has this encounter on, the, on Mount Sinai the burning bush, and God tells him that you're going to lead my people out of captivity. And so he has to traverse back across the Sinai Peninsula to Midian, drop off his father-in-law's flock, and traverse all the way back to Egypt. And I would propose to you that then <laughs> it was very important 
what he did with his hiddenness. Because little did he know that he was going to go back to Egypt and he was going to lead what they approximate to be 2.4 million people across the Red Sea and into the exact same wilderness that he had just been traversing for the last years with his flock. Can you see how it would have been really important to what he did in his hidden was? What he learned, the nuances of the land, where the water was, where the pastures were, where was a safe place to sleep and not a safe place to sleep. There was incredible purpose in Moses' hiddenness. And God hid him there to then manifest him as he led the people. Can you imagine if he would have just like skipped a part uh, of, and said, oh, I didn't quite travel that section. And then, he, you know, he's leading 2.4 million people. And he's like, you know, that section right there, it got a little bit hard. So the next 500 miles, like, you guys are on your own. Like, you know, because I didn't quite go there when I was supposed to. So I can't lead you there. And the same thing happened with David. They say that once Saul died and David became king, it, he increased the size of Israel. He was a victorious king. He led his men into battle they, they, over and over again. And you want to know what they say the reason why he was such an incredible leader and an, an incredible uh, victor in battle and war? It's because for those five or six years that he lived in the Judean countryside, he learned the land. He knew the ravines and the valleys. He knew the caves that connected to the other side. He knew the passes where to go. And so when he had to lead his men as the king of Israel, he had been there. In his hidden time, because he chose not to kill Saul in the cave, but remain there and not hide himself, but to embrace his hiddenness, he learned the land in such a capacity that he was then able to lead the multitudes into victory through. You see what I'm saying? Nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. God hid David so that he could manifest him as a leader later. God hid Moses so he could manifest it later as he led the people of Israel into Exodus, into the promised land. And I would propose that in each of your lives, where you go in the hidden place, where you go in the hidden times with God, in the hidden seasons, will directly dictate and correlate to where you lead people when God reveals you. You will not lead people when God reveals you anywhere that you do not go yourself in the hidden place and in the hidden seasons. God entrusted Moses to lead a people across the Sinai Desert because Moses himself had traversed the Sinai Desert. Where do you want to lead people? What's God called you to? Well, those are the exact places you need to go and the places that you need to contend for in your own life. You feel called to like marital ministry, that you want to see marriages restored? Good place to start is in your marriage. See what I'm saying? It directly correlates. And there's one way that a hidden season should end. There's a million ways in how it could. 
We can choose at any day to end a hidden season, right? Uh, David could have killed Saul in that opportunity. But there's only one way I would propose to you that hidden seasons are made to end. And that is when God reveals you. Not when you reveal yourself. Not when you try to unhide yourself. But when God reveals you. And a beautiful example of that is the woman who bled for 12 years. She uh, is a beautiful example of how you end a season of hiddenness. And a little context before we, and we're going to read that. So if you can go, you can go to Luke 8 if you'd like, because that's where it's at. But I'm just going to summarize. Leviticus 15, it's a little bit graphic, but um, it was the part of the law that talked all about uh, menstrual cycles and bleeding. And it sets the context for the, for the world that this woman lived in for 12 years. If you read Leviticus 15, there's like 20 verses, and it basically says that like anything she touched became unclean. Any person that she touched became unclean. If she sat in a chair, they'd have to take that chair and cleanse it and wash it. That she wasn't allowed to go into the synagogue or the temple. She couldn't bring offerings. She couldn't go into public settings. She couldn't go to the market because if she rubbed shoulders with somebody, that person would be clean. And they'd have to go outside the city for seven days until they became clean to come back. She could not go into public life. It talks about uh, it, it, during a menstrual cycle, if your husband, if he touches you, then he's unclean for seven days. And then he couldn't go and offer sacrifices, and he couldn't go and work. So you can see the context that this woman lived in. She was hidden professionally. No one's going to give her a job. She was probably doesn't talk about a husband, but I guarantee you she was hidden. If she was married, I'm sure her husband did not spend much time with her. She was hidden in every capacity. And it's profound, though, how she acts, or the way that she, in Luke 8. You know, it'd be really easy when you've been stuck in such despair and hiddenness for 12 years to become extremely passive and extremely bitter. But she doesn't do that. And in Luke 8, it says this, starting with verse 43. And there was a woman who had who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she'd spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anybody. So right there, she'd spent everything that she had attempting to find wholeness and healing. And it says in 44 that she came up behind him, Jesus, and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you, with an exclamation point. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him and declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she'd be immediately healed. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. It would be really easy to become extremely passive and bitter. It would be extremely easy for this woman who have been in absolute hiddenness for 12 years, for 12 years, hidden in every capacity of life, to hear about this, oh, this guy named Jesus is coming into town. Like, we've heard that maybe he's a Messiah, maybe he's, like, possessed with demons. But anyhow, like, we hear he heals people. Like, 
You should go see if you can go touch him. It would have been really easy for her to sit back and be like, no, I've tried it all. Like, what does this Jesus guy have for me? Instead, in this absolute season of hiddenness for these 12 years, she still had the faith to be like, no, I'm going to believe for something. She continued to walk by faith and not by sight in her hidden season. And so she goes, and when Jesus is getting pushed on every side, she, she reaches and she touches him. And she's healed. And it says that when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down and basically told her story. And what I propose to you that when it says that she realized that she was not hidden, it wasn't that in that moment everybody stepped back and it was just like her and Jesus standing there. So she like couldn't deny it. No, Peter at first is like, like Jesus, like there's people all around touching you. Like nobody knew in the moment who, who, had, who had touched him. But I would propose to you that what happened in that moment is that God revealed her. That she had been in hiddenness, but when she reached and touched him, God revealed her in that moment, and the whole crowd took notice. That it wasn't a physical thing. It was a supernatural thing. And then, after revealing her, he looks at her. And Jesus says, my daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And in front of a crowd of people said, basically, my daughter... You have embraced your hidden season. I don't hide except to be made manifest. And what I'm going to manifest in front of this entire crowd is they're all going to know that what you've done, your healing, was by your faith. Do you see that? God reveals her. And then everything that was hidden was made manifest in that moment. And everybody there, who knows, there was Pharisees, Sadducees, all following Jesus. And in front of this whole crowd, probably powerful men, influential people, Jesus looks at her and says, my daughter, your faith has made you well. Because you chose not to kill Saul, your faith has made you well. The way that you've embraced your hiddenness and not gotten passive and gotten bitter, but the fact that you came and you reached and you touched my garment, in the midst of people were probably looking at you like, what are you doing here? And what was hidden was made manifest in that moment. And God revealed her. And that, I would propose to you, is the only way you ever want to come out of a season of hiddenness. Is to allow God to reveal you. You do not want to unhide yourself. As believers, we have given our lives to Jesus. In Romans, it says, we're, you know, that we lay ourselves down as living sacrifice. Our lives are not our own. And so if God has purpose to reveal us, and in order to reveal us, he needs to hide us, well, the hiding and the revealing, is, it's not about you. It's not about me. Our lives aren't our own. And so God actually hides us to reveal us, to show the world himself. And in that moment... That whole crowd saw who Jesus was in that woman. And so we have to know that our hiddenness has purpose. 
And the absolute purpose of it is to be revealed. But we have to remain, and we can't jump ship. And Song of Solomon has this beautiful picture of what I think this looks like. And it says in chapter 8, it says, Who is this coming out of the wilderness, leading on their beloved? In other words, I knew that person when they went into their hidden season. They were plagued by fear and insecurity and brokenness and all of these things when they went into the hidden wilderness season. Who is this coming out of the wilderness leaning on their beloved? Like, that's not the same person that I saw walk into the wilderness. Like, something is completely, you, you become unrecognizable to the world that, once, that knew you prior. But then the crazy thing is, is then you intrigue them, and they're like, who is that? Like, who is that? Like, I knew you before. But then the crazy thing is, then it gets turned, and they're like, well, shoot. Those same fears and brokenness and addictions that you had when you walked in there, like, I have them. And then they're like, oh, my gosh, there's an answer to this? Like, I don't have to stay in my brokenness. I don't have to stay in my insecurity and fear. Yet the world encounters that revelation by you not hiding your, unhiding yourself in hidden places, in hidden seasons. Do you see that? It's not for your sake that God hides you. It is for your sake, but it's not just for your sake. It's for the sake of the world. It's for the sake of every person that you encounter. It's for the sake of your children and your children's children. Because of the way that you hide yourself and embrace hiddenness, your children will not have to face the same things you faced. You cannot see things in, in the span of just your life. God sees the beginning from the end. And so every decision that you make, it would be ignorant to think that every, the decisions that you make with God are just for you. Because the decisions that you make in any other realm of your life don't just affect you. If I choose to divorce my wife and I have kids, that decision does not just for me. My whole family feels the repercussions. So when you choose to go to the depths with God, when you choose to remain in your hiddenness, even though it's uncomfortable and it's painful, you're doing it for you, yes, but you're doing it for your children's children's children. Because what the wholeness and the breakthrough that you're going to get, then they're not going to have to contend for. And their wilderness is going to look completely different. Who is this coming out of the wilderness leaning on their beloved? It's a powerful picture. And it's a picture of what we're all called to walk in. Because we will all have hidden seasons. We were all called to hiddenness. Because in hiddenness, we find depth. We find something that we don't find in seasons of being revealed. And the beautiful thing is it says that Jesus was tempted in every way but didn't sin. And therefore, in every temptation, we have a way out. I guarantee you Jesus was tempted to unhide himself for 30 years. For 30 years, the Savior of the world, God himself, walked and nobody knew who he was. I guarantee you there was times where he was a kid that he got made fun of. 
How easy would it have been to him to be like, yeah, well, watch this. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It would have been really easy for Jesus to unhide himself, but you know what Jesus did? When was Jesus, when did Jesus come out of hiddenness? He's baptized. The heavens open. The voice of God says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And he enters into his public ministry. In that moment, he becomes revealed. Did he unhide himself? No. Jesus waited for 30 years for God to reveal him. And when he did, in three and a half years, he changed the world. I can guarantee you, you'd rather be in hiddenness for 40 years and have three years of God's absolute purpose manifested through your life than to try to unhide yourself for 40 years constantly and then completely find yourself back in the same place, walking around the same mountain over and over and over again. Takes... To not unhide yourself is endurance. It takes endurance. And Paul talks about endurance so much in his writings. We've got to fight the good fight. We've got to endure. Endurance produces hope and character. And the cool thing is when Jesus in Acts 1, he, he says to the disciples that the Holy Spirit's coming. And he's going to baptize you in power. And you're going to be my, my witnesses and my disciples through all of Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the world. That word power, dynamis, it means to, it's like the miraculous power, yes. Like I'm, my spirit's coming on you for you to do the miraculous. But it also means a strength to endure. And so the way in which we choose to remain in our hidden times is to embrace the power of God that he's given us. That he's given us power. He lives inside of us. He rests upon us to give us strength to endure. Because it gets hard. I'll be the first one to say it. It gets hard. Remaining in a hidden season is not easy. Especially in the world we live in today. Like social media, everything. Like the whole world says you should unhide yourself on a daily basis. By posting this thing or that thing. And making it look like you're living this life or that life or the other life. Like there are so, the world says to self-promote yourself. That if you want to get and see your dreams that you need to promote yourself. Because if you don't do it, who's going to do it for you? It's such a temptation in the world we live in today. But God's like, no, just remain in that cave like David did. Like trust that I've possessed you with promise. You have dreams and ambitions. Yeah, it'd be easy just to kill Saul and, and believe that those are going to happen. But rather... Be so intimate with me that when a scenario that looks so God-ordained comes about, you're able to be like, no, that's, that, you know, that's actually not God. You know, that, that's the level of intimacy we have to have with Jesus. Because honestly, me, to be honest, if I was in that situation, I would have been like, like, that's God. It'd be pretty easy to be like, Saul's walking into my cave to pee. Like, you're basically <laughs> handing him over to me. You know, like, I, if I'm being honest with myself, I would have, I'd probably kill, kill Saul. <laughs> Paul wrote this in Hebrews 12. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And so that's my charge for you tonight.
is to keep running this race. And whether you find yourself in a hidden season or a season where you're being revealed, to run the race with endurance. Because inevitably you will find yourself in a hidden time. You know, and sometimes you'll be revealed in one area and hidden in other. But we have to accept and embrace the places and the times when we are hidden. And we have to know that our hiddenness has purpose. And the only reason a good father would hide you is to manifest you later to the world. So that they can be like, who is that? Who is that coming out of the hiddenness leaning on their beloved? So would you stand with me? I think we have a prayer team. If the prayer team wants to come forward. If any of this hits home with you, if you need encouragement, the prayer team's up here, and I would just uh, I would encourage you to come forward and just let them pray over you, let them speak life over you, uh, and yeah, let them come partner with you. But Jesus, I thank you, I thank you that you hide us. Like I thank you that you hide us, God. I thank you for hiddenness. I thank you for hiddenness because. The fact that you hide me means that you want to reveal me, God. And I thank you that the fact that you want to hide every person in this room is because you want to reveal every person in this room for the sake of this world. All of creation yearns for the revealing of the sons and daughters, God. And so I pray that everybody in this room would have such an endurance and a strength, God, to embrace the hidden times that they can be revealed, God, so that all of creation can stop yearning. Because they see the King of Kings. So Lord, I thank you that you call us higher. I thank you that you call us deeper. I thank you for this journey that we get to go on with you. And I just ask that you would empower us to go farther and higher and deeper than we could ever ask or imagine, Lord. We love you and we bless you tonight. Amen.